Welcome to episode 26 of Expanding Beyond. Um, summer is finally here in Munich. I uh, went swimming today. Um, I don't know what you did, Monica, but it was a nice Saturday, I think. The sun is out, people. Oh, my God. <laughs> Just like I, I can feel the rush of vitamin D <laughs> through my body. It's like, yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I, I just biked a lot. I went uh, to the city center with my bike and it was super nice in the morning. Then from there, I went to a friend of mine for lunch, another very nice ride. Then I came back home. I saw my some friends in the park. Uh, and of course, that was the only time I was actually out for staying out and it started raining. But I'm just enjoying the nice week of stable, nice weather out there. It's gorgeous. It's finally time. It's already June. So it's, it was a really, really cold May. So hopefully it'll stay warm for a bit. Yes. All right. So let's start with your topic uh, this, this, this round. Um, how's the new job going? How is it going? It's so weird to be in a new job. Like, I know that, like, rationally, my brain knew that I was starting a new job. But experiencing it, it's definitely still disorienting to some extent. It's an experience I haven't had in five years. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, not that I didn't start a new job in five years. I, I changed role, but the environment was always the same. So I still had, despite difference in, in responsibilities, I still had a lot of context. I still yeah. knew how people were clicking because these were the same people, uh, more or less. So, uh, and you had a rough idea of the, the, what the you're doing, right? Like literally yeah. like the, the landscape I knew, right. Yeah. It's kind of like, it's a new level of a game you have been playing for a while. Like, yes, of course there's some, some differences, but eh, that's, now imagine playing a game that you are not used to. Like you have never, like for example, I've never been a first-person shooter uh, game kind of person until I started playing Destiny. You should have seen me at the beginning with that controller. I mean, of <laughs> course it's a game and I kind of get the mechanics, but that's not my place, people. Uh, so, um, so there's that. And I didn't expect to feel so I wouldn't even call it at loss but like not ready mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so there's that uh, and also the change in industry that also like the applications that the two companies were are building they have kind of like the same mechanics because it's still a kind of like a training journey whatever you want to call it it's still some things that the user has to do every day and based on their feedback the the system adapts blah blah mm -hmm. one is medical the other is fitness so also the context in that regard the domain is different uh, it's medical so you have a bunch of regulations on top of everything yeah so i literally spent like four hours on a training how to handle people's data. And I've been told this is the short one because mm -hmm. there's another one that I have to do that takes eight hours. <laughs> so yeah, 
right? So for by now, these it it sort of sounds like the switch from before GDPR to exactly. GDPR, where everyone had to <laughs> frantically learn what is that even? What does that mean? Now it's now it's pretty normal, and I guess this medical data there's more restrictions on what you can and can't absolutely. Do, right? yeah. uh, I have to say that that makes me a little bit more comfortable because literally it's, I wouldn't call it watertight, but it's pretty close to watertight. It's especially in Europe. I mean, even in the States, you, you still have uh, a lot of rights and there's a lot of constraints, but in I can only imagine that Europe is like double that. So <laughs> It probably is, yeah. Yes. Uh, so there's that. Then what else? Um, I joined a company that is round about the same size that my previous company was when I joined. And even if at that point the rate of growing of my previous company was fast, I wasn't really aware of the environment, so I didn't pick up the signals a lot. Now I am the new kid on block and I can see how the organization is really stretching. It's like this influx of new people like literally almost every day there's someone new joining mm -hmm. and uh, talking with some of the people that I know from uh, before uh, I have some friends there already uh, and uh, some uh, peers the feeling is we don't know who these people are like half of the company is new how do you deal with that so Yeah, that's, this is the, always a dangerous phase for, for, mm -hmm. for the company culture, isn't it, right? Yeah. So that is what is making it slightly more difficult for me because I don't know what's the culture. I mean, of course, I asked some questions and I saw how they were hiring, what they were looking for when they were hiring. So I have an idea of what they would like their culture to look like, but I don't have any tangible experience with the before. Mm hmm And but but you're in sort of the the uh, um, sort of good situation that you're basically starting a new team, as I understand it, right? Yes, that's so correct. You can basically <laughs> invent your own culture and just. I mean, this is sort of uh, how we we did it here. I just thought did what I thought would be best, and then yes, I mean to some extent, yes, of course. I that's my intention. That's what I would like to do. But this is what uh, I was reflecting on this. I think it was this morning or yesterday, something like that. I found this uh, this article very insightful where um, they were pointing out that you can build your own culture within a team, but you cannot expect the teams to be stable. It's very likely that your team or your department, your function slightly change and, and will move and people will be moved around a little bit, you have this double hurdle of having a culture that is evolving. You're trying to establish a culture in your team, but at the same time, it's like the ground is shaking under your feet. Mm -hmm. uh, so especially in eye growth, the, the odds are that this is not going to last. Like it won't be stable. I really like the fact that I potentially I can build a new team. I mean, there there is a at the moment the area my team is supposed to work on is already filled with a few people. There are either freelancers or these are like working students and so on that are already building something. 
uh, and they are very close to having a, a, a having it handed in. So a certain way of working has already been established. We'll onboard more people. So when I'm talking about having a new team, cannot really imagine a blank slate. And this was yeah. a realization that I, I just got when, when I came in and I started thinking, I was like, okay, how do we establish a certain culture? There's not even a PM. So like we have to hire everyone. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's why I mean, and I was thinking, I was like, now it's the time to establish certain things, just in case. Um, <laughs> like, so, like, for example, everyone needs to listen to this podcast. <laughs> yes, this is very important. That's uh, part of the performance review we'll have uh, once a month. Um, no, I was <laughs> more. <laughs> that was a good one. <laughs> I was thinking something like, how do we want to shape the way we uh, pace our team? How are the engineers used to spend their time? Is it 100% on product features out there? Or is it, and we have our space to, you know, learn our own things or experiment? Mm -hmm. How do you want to establish a product development process? It's like, how do you do? Do you do discovery before? Do you do it with the UX designer? Do you do it alone? Do you have only the product uh, manager there? Who speaks for the team in which rounds? So, like, all these little things that depending on the on the environment and depending on the team and and how the company works can really make it or break it in in the way your team feels as yeah. they are working together so is this a feature crunching team like that's not what i would like when i'm thinking about how do i create that culture that's going to be uh, interesting so what I started doing, for example, I started uh, having a few get to know each other uh, talks with the people that I know are still temporarily in the team, but they are the main um, contributors and they're going to stay there for a few months still. Um, so I could consider this as the people that are going to help me building the foundation. Like, you know, when you build a foundation of a house, you have some some uh, wooden support for, you know, pouring the concrete in. So yeah. if I manage to establish a certain relationship with these people, working relationship and a certain intent, I might be able to already shape in a certain way the, the feeling that you get when you, when you are in the team. So I started talking with some of them. I started, I'm still in what, in the book, the first 90 days. If you are out there and you're changing your role or your job, do yourself a favor and buy a copy of that book because that thing should be the Bible. Um, <laughs> Next time I will. Maybe I'll start a, a, a job I haven't been in, then maybe it's more useful. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> even if you change role, you don't have yeah. to be necessarily a manager to find something useful. In it. I mean, of course, if you are a manager, it's a slightly more useful, but it's still, there's so much stuff in there. So one of the things they, they are saying in the book uh, is about, hello cat, the cat is on the table, people. Um, for the native speakers, that's a common phrase for teaching English in Italian. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, in the book, they are discussing about um, to get to understand what is the culture of the company. 
so that then you can, so, and you do this in a phase that they call the observation phase. And usually it's kind of like the first 30 days. The observation phase is, is shaped, or at least it's suggested to be done for two reasons. One, it allows you to soak in as much information as possible about the current environment, because what worked in the past, what brought you here again, won't keep you here because the environment is different. So you have to get an understanding of what's what's uh, around you. Mm-hmm. But also because it doesn't allow you to make early mistakes. You come from an environment that has certain conditions. You have certain ideas of how things are supposed to be working. But they, those things were working because they were an answer to a certain problem in a certain environment in a certain at a certain time and this company that you are joining is different yeah so you might think you are doing your your team a favor for example by making i don't know daily more structured but for your previous team the structured dailies were perfect because you had people that were used to wandering off by with thoughts and so on but for the current team that is instead being established, for example, that's the only moment in which all the people that belong to that team are getting together in the whole week because there's no scrum around it. So the only moment they see each other is the daily. So that daily could be more structured and could be more efficient, but it might not be the right answer for the problem your team is having. Observe what's going on and don't apply the patterns that you already know were working because they might not be working here. Yeah, um, perfect. Yeah, I, I realized even as as a developer that that is very useful. And that's uh, actually what I've been doing. I I'm, These days I'm shying away from looking at code I don't know and saying, oh, that is mm-hmm. crazy. And why is it done like that? And that doesn't look good. Uh, there's sort of the engineering extension thereof to say, hey, first I'm looking at this stuff and after a while I can maybe figure out why it, it was done like that because it's yeah. either historical and it just grew that way or the system is more com- complex than you imagine and it just has to be done that way. <laughs> so there is that. It's a little bit conflicting though, this observation part with what I also experienced when having new team members joining my team. The... Um, thirst of your manager for feedback. One of the reasons why you are so important as a new hire is that you have a perspective that nobody else in the company has. Especially yeah. when the company is, the company is already established. Like in a high growth, there's plenty of people that are joining all the time. So, um, But it's, it's like you have no uh, preconception. It's like you're a baby. You're a blank slate. <laughs> So you come in and you can notice things that others won't. It's like, oh, this feels weird. Or you might ask questions that for you are genuine questions. It's like, because you don't know anything about it. So you're just generally asking, but why are we doing this? And just by saying, why are we doing this? You're kicking off a conversation in the room that is like, actually, we were doing this because X, but that's not the case anymore. So why are we still doing it? Yeah, yeah, that's true. Sometimes it's you just need someone with an outside look to realize why yeah. stuff 
is not necessarily an, uh, uh, the best thing to do anymore. Yeah, that's true. Yes. So the advice in the book is to hold your horses for a bit and really negotiate this time, if possible, with your manager so that you don't dive in immediately in action that can be actually detrimental to the company, to the team, and guess what, to your success. Because I really like that metaphor, because it's something that I also pictured that way, and it's really interesting. Like in the book, they are saying joining a new company is like transplanting an organ. And if you don't pay attention, that organ is going to be rejected. <laughs> so it's very easy to fall prey of this fear of not showing your value. It's like, I mean, I've been hired for doing something, right? But again, you have been hired to do the right thing, not to do whatever. So I really like that part of the advice. So right now I'm trying to observe as much as possible and to take notes and try to understand what are the relationships between the people and why they're doing things in a certain way and what is happening. So it's really like peeling an onion uh, that it's multiple onions in one. So it's very complicated. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I always have to to think of Shrek when I think of the layers of the onion. <laughs> That's a good one too. <laughs> um, so there's uh, there's that. It's a what I like is that it's a slightly uncomfortable feeling that I'm okay with feeling. Mm -hmm. uh, so I mean, reaction, immediate reaction. I really don't like to be in this position. Consciously, I know that in a while, I won't feel it anymore, and that's fine. But the fact that I feel so uncomfortable means that I actually achieved what I wanted by leaving my previous company. Because one of my reasons, and probably the main one, was that I, I wanted to have a different take at mm -hmm. how you do things. Because... From diversity of experiences, uh, guess what? You get a lot of value and you grow uh, as a person. You understand better certain things. And generally, like I mean, as humans, we are there. We are curious. That's what brought us here to the level of society that we have. I, I put myself into this. <laughs> I got yeah. myself yeah. into yeah. this. But that's great. That's what I need to remember. <laughs> yeah. And how you so I found that the starting a new job is always at least the first few weeks are super tiring and I'm always basically dead after work and I can't really do anything anymore. How's that for you? Wow, that's a good question. Um, I have to say that the way they are uh, onboarding me, it's actually really good for me mm -hmm. because um, I am not expected to do something immediately. So I'm expected to start taking over a little bit more from next week, but nobody in their sane mind is thinking that I should already own a lot of things. Mm -hmm. um, so it's actually not so tiring for me at the moment. I mean, it's tiring mentally because as I said, there's a lot that I need to take in. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's what I meant. You're sort of talking to people all the time, trying to understand stuff. And that is just... I'm trying to pace myself, frankly speaking. So I'm, mm -hmm. I'm doing it really consciously that I set up a few one-on-ones, but it's like to get to know a bunch of people, but it's like three, four per week. I don't have a 
team that it's super big. So also the regular one-on-ones I'm going to start doing from next week. I also don't have a lot of peers uh, in terms of like other tech leads, engineering managers. There's also that. So it's it's to a bearable degree at the mm. moment. Okay. Random question. Uh, how often do you do uh, one-on-ones with your uh, people, basically? Uh, what the doctor prescribes, uh, <laughs> jokes aside, um, in my experience, what worked the best was um, once a week. Mm-hmm. And very often, one hour is enough. Uh, I mean, is enough. It depends on the person. There are those one-on-ones that are not work, frankly speaking, and those could go on for hours. Like, <laughs> if I wouldn't have another another meeting afterwards, and sometimes... This was what I loved about the one-on-ones with my boss when we were in the office. Like, we would just keep talking. And Mm -hmm. whenever we would happen to be in the same room, we would keep talking, keep talking. Uh, So I actually had one scheduled one-on-one with my boss, but we actually spent probably like four or five hours per week (laughs) talking (laughs) just in the corridors about random stuff. Um, So I I had in my previous team a couple of reports that were like this. And we could just go on for hours. There are other people where instead like half an hour was enough. I mean, I don't think you really can have a productive career developing conversation in uh, half an hour per week. But it was a very different situation. Like there were other things. So that would be the mere minimum, frankly speaking. And for really feeling the beat of the team, once a week. That would be my actual recommendation. Mm-hmm. What's your yeah. experience? Uh, so as a manager, I also try to uh, do it weekly. But if there was someone who said, hey, I only want to do it every two weeks, we did it that way. Um, currently, I have bi-weekly uh, one-on-ones with my boss. Uh, but our two teams are pretty hands-off. Okay. So my boss is responsible for multiple teams, but... In the day-to-day running of the teams, they they aren't really involved anyway. So we do we do our thing with our product owner and our stakeholders, and there's other meetings where sort of across the teams you sometimes meet to discuss stuff. And but then I would argue that you actually need them more often. If the if you're not in the team observing the person day to day, like of course. You can have status updates, but really the pulse of the situation, how the team is performing, how the people are working together and so on. I mean, I've not been really in that position, uh, but <laughs> I would argue yeah. that. yeah. So, so that uh, the interesting fact is uh, in our company, there's two directors of engineering. Uh-huh. With one of them is, is here in Munich. Um, he's sort of officially my boss and I have the one-on-ones with him. And then the other one is uh, in Poland in our other office. Um, I don't have one-on-ones with him, but he is sort of um, responsible for the team. So okay. <laughs> we go to him if we need to, uh, for example, the decision of what tool do we use now. Mm-hmm. That's sort of in his in his thing. That That's fascinating. His direction, that what he does. I mean, he is. Some people are in Poland, so those have one-on-ones with him. It's sort of that. That's that's how it's it's done okay. at this point. And 
then there's there's the product owner and our stakeholder there again under a different in a different department so they have a different boss again so they have one-on-ones i assume with their boss mm-hmm. and uh, our qa person or both of them they also have a different boss so if, okay. i assume they have one-on-ones with them so there isn't really one person who is sort of doing it for everyone on the team so it's it's quite of a different setup than i guess what you have or what you had with basically yes. you're responsible for all roles. Yes. At least nowadays we are more of a team ourselves instead of mm. there being teams uh, sort of divided by a role. That's, this is, okay, that's, cool. that's something that had been much more and that had been much stronger in the past. The last time I was at the company and that was kind of problematic. I mean, if this team of the QA people is is a stronger. They're holding together stronger than the actual team they are on. Is that, that sort of that? I agree. So that is kind of like a nature natural evolution of an organization. Very often, you start with platform teams or teams that have the the same area of expertise, and then naturally, as you as you grow, you need to solve different problems. Therefore, you have very often you move to a cross-functional approach. And then if the bond of the team that is a platform team, let's call it this way, is stronger than the one between the people in the team that is actually working together, what you have is that the team is pulled in so many different directions. And that usually it's counterproductive because the people in the team don't do the interest of the team. Like they don't follow the mission of the team they're in. They are following the mission of the platform they belong to. And yeah. in a, especially in a product company, that's not the goal. I mean, we're not here to develop the next uh, infrastructure. That's not what we are building. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. that doesn't work. Yeah, I've, I found it's, it's especially uh, dangerous if you have sort of the divide between developer and testers, right? Yes. We then throw stuff over the wall and then everyone is mad at the other party, right? So there, one thing I really liked about the way we were working at Freeletics is that the QA person assigned to a specific team, they were still reporting to a different uh, person, but their function wasn't to test our stuff. They were embedded in the team so that they could teach the engineers, the best practices, and together with the engineering manager and the the rest of the leadership of the crew, build an environment that was really as much as possible, because it also depends on the people, but was really embracing the 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 a testing a quality um, mindset and a DevOps mentality. It's like you own the code from the moment you start coding until it's out there and further. Yeah. So they weren't. There wasn't really a conflicting uh, goal to in that regard. What I'm afraid, like, because right now in the new job we are discussing how to build this QA function. So we have a head of QA, but we have to hire still some QA people. And how do we shape the team? So there, I think we are having this conversation. We should have it in a more organic way because, like all decisions, this is an architectural decision. It has trade-offs. Mm-hmm. And it's important, so it should be done in a certain way. But one of my peers as a tech lead is actually arguing for having the QA person reporting to the team lead, to the tech lead. 
we are already as technical leaders stretched thin. If you think about it, we are aiming for having six engineers to per platform, potentially more because there's also the web part. So it could be even eight at some point, plus mm-hmm. the QA, plus someone that might help with the project management of the of the team. That's 10 people. That is a lot, yeah. So then what my opinion will happen is that then the team splits. Naturally, like even if it still reports to the same person, the team naturally will split. And as a manager, line manager, you are going to end up having two tech leads for the two smaller teams, or you will have a tech lead that leads only the engineers. And then you are in charge of the micro organization. But then at that point, your main task will be people management. Mm-hmm. That's not a bad thing per se, mind you, but it might conflict with what's our aim. So uh, again, it has to be a conscious decision. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, so so what we are sort of in that team doing as well, we are we do have finally a product owner, which Ooh-hoo. is cool. But we are also. Uh, we've also hired, uh, it's going to take a while until it can start, we, but we have also hired a product manager. Mm-hmm. So we are, tr- we are there, there's enough to do that we can actually split those roles. Yeah. Because I see, and oftentimes uh, those are sort of uh, unified in, in one person, I guess. That's a very good point. So one of the things I just forgot about the QA is like, I would also argue that the QA being... Uh, reporting to an uh, to the tech lead, engineering manager, whatever you want to call it, it makes for inherently a power play. So you have to be very attentive so that the quality of your of what your team produces doesn't lower. It's like it's a conflict of interest fundamentally. So I really like the idea of having a QA that is external because that keeps, in my opinion the team more sharp, more on their, uh, I don't know if that makes sense, but you get what I'm, on their toes. That's what I mean. Um, and there's also naturally more, the, the QA people talk to each other more, yes. right? If, if they are sort of naturally under one, one unified leadership, then hopefully there's more exchange between yeah. the teams in that way already, which I guess is also helpful. That That's also something that we, we actively have to work on to, if one team is sort of working on some decision, um, then it 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 is important to share that with the other teams because more often than not, these decisions are actually very important for the other teams because mm-hmm. they're going to do something similar eventually and it would be nice to not start from scratch and then eventually end up somewhere completely different. And it makes for a super difficult job for the head of QA, actually. So the person responsible for the QA, for the whole company, to actually enforce anything because these people don't report to them. So even if we are very cool managers and everything is fine and a culture of failure and whatnot, still that liaison is, in my opinion, important. Yeah. But yeah. And going back to what you were saying, I think the two things are actually tied more than we think because very often the product manager role gets mixed with the product owner role and it gets mixed with the project manager role. But those things are different roles. Yeah, I'm still, uh, what are your 
definitions for those because I'm still not sure <laughs> how, how, what's the difference actually. So that's the thing, like the product owner, let's start with the easy one. Product yeah. owner, it's not a title anywhere. Product owner is a label that is present only in Scrum. And in Scrum, a product owner is someone that represents the user to the rest of the team. So actually, it could be anyone. It could be the engineering manager. A lot of teams are, are structured that way. The engineering manager is the interface towards the rest of the organization. So it talks with the product managers, with the project managers, with a bunch of other people. But they are the ones that are the representative of the user within. It could be the UX designer, for that matter. Like, okay. who is the user? Who speaks for them? So in, <laughs> then sort of to translate it to what we are doing. The person that we in our team call the stakeholder mm -hmm. is our product owner. Okay. But the official title of product owner is probably now doing something else, depending on what okay. the other two <laughs> are. So the product manager is the person that analyzes and creates and shapes the product itself. And there are different schools of thoughts and different philosophies in product management. So now they are very, especially in startups and in, in IT as modern, let's say, IT, um, you can find a lot of product managers that are adopting a user-centric approach, but that is not necessarily the case. A product manager is someone that cares about the product itself. It could be that the product serves the goal of the user, but imagine like, The company where I'm living, uh, where I'm living, yes, working on right now. Our partners, like our clients, our customers, this is a business to business company. Our customers are not the users. So our product has to actually cater to more than the end user. It has mm -hmm. to cater to the needs of the partner that we are talking to. It could be an insurance, it could be government, it could be uh, the state, it could be, um, I said it twice because that's how big governments are in Europe. Um, <laughs> it could be another company. So those needs are different than the needs that the user has, the user of the actual application. Then you have a project manager. So here we are talking about what makes a product successful. The project manager is someone that takes care that things happen with the right pace, at the right time, that the dependencies are fulfilled. So very often, a project manager role could be taken in a team by an engineering manager. Because mm -hmm. if you have, again, a structure, a team that is structured in a way that the stakeholders are all included, the product manager, outside of the team, so they don't talk directly with the engineers. I mean, that's an anti-pattern in its own way, but whatever. Um, then what happens is that uh, the engineering manager is the one that it's actually saying, and this has happened at this point in time. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the project manager is basically the person that is, let's say, orchestrating exactly. the whole thing. So there, then it makes sense, if you think about it, what they say about product managers. Product managers are the people that give the priorities. This is the most important thing we can do right now. But then how and when and not really what, but the, the what is what the product manager is saying, but how and when things are happening, that's decided by someone else. My beef very often with product managers is that they're given 
it's not their fault. They're given too many hats to wear. Mm-hmm. They have to have they have to be representative of the user, but they also have to care about the product, therefore the company, that's the business part. And they also have to be the ones that, that people will hang on a tree if stuff is not delivered on time. On time, I mean air quotes, but you get what I mean. Yeah. And again, conflict of interests. How do you expect someone to do their job well if you tell them, hey, you know, water should be cold, but it should also be hot. Like that doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, and it is and it is interesting how how for how few people in a team you would have that so many other let, let let's maybe I don't know, calling it supporting roles is maybe not <laughs> the right term because it assumes that the developers are the most important. But yeah. I mean looking at this, we are currently three developers in this mm-hmm. team. Uh two QA people. So one is more about um, manual testing and the other person is about uh, doing automation, automated testing, sort of uh, sort of across the whole system. And then you have your uh, project manager. We have a stakeholder that is also basically there every day. And then we're hiring a project manager as well. And maybe we're hiring one more or two developers, but yeah. <laughs> Then you have a people manager. Then you have <laughs> blah blah blah. So, I mean, that's true, and that doesn't even include my boss, who I have exactly. one on one with. Yeah. <laughs> you see, like a team, in order to function, has like these are normal needs for a team, and you have to find ways to fulfill those needs. The smaller the team, the smaller the company. Of course, the more the um, roles will mix and will blend in one person that that's what makes startups as fun and also as fucked up to work in <laughs> exactly at the same because time. everybody's kind of like making stuff up as they go because i mean i did that's not my main area of expertise but you have someone that needs to wear that hat but that is also what makes it fun because you can try so many different things and mm-hmm. This is also the engineers themselves. Like in my previous team, I had, I think it was like at least three different engineers handling different um, ceremonies for Scrum. So in a way, they were wearing the hat of the Scrum Master at a specific point in time. That was their responsibility. It wasn't anyone else. So when we talk about really autonomous teams, that's one of the things. It's not only the autonomy of making your own decisions, but it's also the autonomy of actually being able to fulfill what are your needs. And then it goes back to the topic of, you know, it's not a feature churning factory. It's more than that. And then, of course, uh, these days, those roles aren't as clearly defined generally anymore, right? And you try as a team, you try to at least first try to decide stuff together as a team and only if you really can't come up with a decision, do you have to have someone who can actually say, hey, this is how we're going to do it. Yeah. So the thing is that also as an engineer and manager, you can also cover many of those roles. And this is what makes the job, again, challenging and interesting and difficult sometimes because it also depends. Like I've I've spent one year and a half now trying to figure out what an engineering manager does. (laughs) And the only answer I could find that was somewhat making sense to me was that 
you are the person that takes care of the growth of the engineers. So you create the environment for them that allows the team to perform. You are ultimately responsible for the team performance. Mm -hmm. But what this actually means is that you need to do what your team needs. It doesn't really matter what that is. So if your team is missing a project manager or the project manager is not doing their job 100%, it's your responsibility to be there, hunt them down, try to make them do their job or filling the gaps in there. If there's no product manager, I had the example of a colleague of mine, it's like their product manager quit and they couldn't find Mm -hmm. a replace for three months. Guess who ended up figuring out how the OKRs were supposed to be? Him together with the agile coach. Because yeah. that's it goes back to the trifecta. I mean, in our case, we have agile coaches that are also kind of like in... I'm going to say we a lot for both companies for a while. So there's that. <laughs> so in Freeletics, we have agile coaches uh, that to some extent they might function as scrum masters. Uh, but not all teams have that. So I was saying that, you know, there's this, how the trifecta works, but usually the trifecta is product manager, engineering manager, and UX designer. So that doesn't, quadrifecta, I guess that's closest to it. (laughs) Um, That's who fills the gaps. That's what you need to do. So in my case, for example, my team didn't need a lot of technical directions. So... That's fine. They can do it on their own. They're good enough. I don't need to do that. Yeah, yeah, that's true. You can sort of, yeah. And then we can digress in all the things that this, all the, yes, that's correct. All the things that this means to you, but that's a different story for another day. Yeah, I mean, we've been going on uh, for a while now already anyway. So I guess we are done with this episode. For I mean, as you might have imagined i'm pretty passionate about organizational <laughs> development yeah i mean it is fun to watch also. it's fascinating fascinating yeah it's all those little monkeys humans <laughs> yeah i mean this is one of the things that i enjoyed of being a manager because you have more more insight into things in more situations and mm-hmm. how they are happening and you can observe more and Yes. see how stuff happens but the downsides were that you actually have to be there everywhere and this is what bothers me about when when people say oh, yeah but i don't like politics sweetheart everything is politics because that's how humans work it can be brutal politics or it can be good politics but it will be politics nonetheless Because humans are inherently social animals and societies are built on creating relationships and relationships are politics. Guess what? You have to achieve a goal. You have to find a way to make that happen. Yeah. Although I I would say most of the time when people say that it's more about the bad (laughs) parts of it, right? Yeah. But then I'm also a picky uh, picker of words. So I'm like... It's bad politics. Bad politics. That's what you mean. <laughs> and I agree. I totally agree. Yeah, I also have no no real desire and time for stuff no. like that. No. I've never really I mean I've I have wondered sometimes how it would work in a really big company. Mm-hmm. Uh but I've never really wondered enough to actually try it out. <laughs> I wonder if at some point it's like 
if you think about it, our societies are super complex. Like all the things that are need to happen so that we could live a normal, boring, regular life. Like imagine all the infrastructure that has to work in a certain way so that you can receive electricity in your house or that someone comes and picks your rubbish at the end of the of the week. All that stuff is super complex. So I what I'm trying I at which point the the size the big size of what's happening around you stops being visible. It's like it's so big that you cannot perceive it. I don't know, maybe it's too much sugar this afternoon. I'm sorry. No, no, I mean <laughs> this is also so so what this reminds me of is basically at least here where we live about the school system, which mm -hmm. is sometimes really odd. Um, and it could be structured in a way that's more modern and easier to do. Uh, but when, if you really think about it, do you really want to completely start from scratch? Yeah. So that's sort of the alternative, Let's which is also realistic. not a good idea. So you try to, to do smaller fixes um, to, if you think about it, end up with oftentimes the same solution, just more complex than it needs to be. But sometimes it's just the smaller evil, I guess, instead of breaking it all down and yeah. dealing with the consequences. And for the software engineers out there listening to us, if there is one thing you need to take out of today's episode, it's this, don't start Greenfield projects. <laughs> don't Unless... Yeah. I mean, unless it's completely Next. on fire, but then you have different issues. I mean, that that's a whole episode. What, what again, right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> so let's, let's because not go there. Because it depends there. is my answer. Especially it depends. <laughs> what, what do you mean by a great field? Yeah. Yes, that's <laughs> true. Yeah. So uh, let's, let's leave the cliffhanger there. Right, let, <laughs> let's add it to the list of topic ideas. That's yes. a good one. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, Monica, where can people people find you while I write down that um, uh, topic idea? Thank you. Uh, people can find me on Twitter. Uh, lately, I've been tweeting a little less, but I'm still there at KF Molly with an I. Uh, you can find me on a bunch of platforms as Nearnath. Dev2 is one of them. Um, and then you can find me on my website, monicag.me. And what about you? Uh, you can also find me on Twitter uh, as UJH. Sometimes I talk about programming, sometimes about my guinea pigs. <laughs> um, adorable. And they are adorable. Yeah. They do a poop a lot, but <laughs> they are adorable. I mean, it means they're well fed. That's yes, good. Yes. Makes you a good parent. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is more or less where you can find me. Sometimes I'm on LinkedIn, but I mainly post about the podcast. And that's it. And if you are interested in uh, talking to us about the podcast, if you have questions, if you have uh, suggestions of topics to talk about, if you maybe even want to be a guest on the podcast, uh, you can email us at hosts at expandingbeyond.it. Thank you, people. Have a lovely day. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.